0: chapter 9 starting at verse 1. Meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners To Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do there. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything.
1: Well, that story of the conversion of St. Paul is one of the more dramatic stories in the New Testament. But actually, I want to look this morning at one of the forgotten heroes of the Christian church. In that story, the focus is always on Paul. Perhaps the most dramatic and well-known conversion story in Damascus, to have a Damascus road experience become a byword for some life-changing, some life-turning event. His road to Damascus was very different to the one he had thought he was going on. Saul, the persecutor of the church. Saul, who we are introduced to at the stoning of Stephen. The one who simply stands by and we're told is in the crowd watching Stephen being put to death. Saul, the one who is described at the start of Acts chapter 8 as wanting to destroy the church. That is Saul's aim in life. He wants to destroy the church. And the word that's used in the Greek is a word that was normally used of the actions of a wild boar destroying a vineyard. What a violent image, if you think of a wild boar running through a vineyard, completely destroying it. Even by the start of chapter 9, Saul is described as making murderous threats. And again, that word is normally used for the panting or snorting of a wild beast. Luke. Seems to have a thing for those sorts of words. But the words are used deliberately. They're words that describe beasts, animals, wild animals, almost out of control. This is an angry man. This is a man who is ruthlessly determined to do one thing and one thing only. That is to destroy the church, to wipe the church off the face of the earth. He's a fanatic. He's a cold-blooded killer, determined to carry out racial and theological ethnic cleansing. Imagine names like Milosevic or Hitler or Saddam Hussein or Karadich. They are names to be placed along the name of Saul at this stage in his life. He is carrying out ethnic theological racial cleansing. So zealous is he for the Jewish faith, he wants to ensure that this new sect called the Way, these people who are saying that Jesus is the Messiah, that they are wiped off the face of the earth. And he's commissioned by the church in Jerusalem. In fact, more than that, he begs He asks for permission to be sent by the church in Jerusalem to Damascus to find any of these followers of the way, whether they be men or women. Did you know when Rosemary read that detail out? Men or women. No one is to be spared. All are to be gathered up. All are to be made prisoners. And all are to be brought back to Jerusalem and then tried and then presumably at some point executed. And then something happens. On that road to Damascus, he encounters the risen Jesus, and everything changes. The persecutor becomes the preacher. The homicidal killer becomes a disciple. The zealot, ethnic, racial, and theological cleanser becomes a blind, helpless, disorientated, vulnerable, fasting beginner. His Saints' Day is on January the 25th. That's when the church around the world remembers St. Paul. But hidden away in the byword on that particular day is that on that day, the church is to remember somebody else. The church is to remember one of the forgotten heroes of the Christian church, a hero who doesn't even get his own Saints' Day whose own Saint's Day is associated with the big personality of Paul. And down in the footnote is Ananias. In his new book on the Apostle Paul, Tom Wright imagines being in Vienna in 1940. Imagine, he says, being an Austrian Jew called Josef Schmidt. The Nazis have overtaken Austria. The terror of the Holocaust is beginning to unfold. Jews are being shipped out of Vienna. And then one night in a dream, God appears to you, an Austrian Jew called Joseph Schmidt, and says to you these words. Go to Strauss Street. There you will find Adolphus Hitler. He is a good man. And he has had a dream where a man called Joseph Schmidt comes and prays for him. That is the challenge that God gives to this Syrian Christ follower called Ananias. When God speaks to him, he is understandably reluctant and fearful. In Damascus, we're told there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Strait Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to rescue his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias, understandably, begins to bargain with God. Ananias, understandably, starts to point out that he knows better than God. Ananias, fairly understandably, begins to explain to God what God doesn't know. Perhaps, like me, you've been in that situation when God has asked you to do something and you start to reel off all the reasons why you shouldn't do something, and doesn't God know what we know? I have heard many reports about this man, i.e., don't you know who he is, God? He has done harm to your holy people, don't you know what he has done? And he has come here to arrest all who call on your name, i.e., don't you know what will happen to me? The analogy that I'm using at the 11 o'clock service for the all-age service is the time when I was on an Abernethy Trust family week holiday about 10, 12 years ago, and somehow, by some dint of a mistake in the administration, probably my wife signed me up for it, I was put down to go abseiling. (laughs) I have never done any abseiling, but I duly reported to the equipment store. We were given our equipment of a helmet and a harness, and we set off. And when we got to Cullen on the north coast, my instructor was my godson, Ross Yarrow, whose mum is sitting towards the back of church this morning. And Ross showed us where we were going to abseil down this particular very, 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 very tall cliff. And I remember arguing with Ross, discussing in the same way that Ananias talked to God, don't you know who I am? (laughs) Don't you know that I've never done this? And above all, don't you know what will happen to me when I go down there? Ross assured me that didn't I know who he was? Didn't I know what he'd done? And didn't I know that he had done this before? And so he duly harnessed me up and belayed me down this cliff face. I have to say that it was a good job that I decided to have no more children at that point. So tight was the harness around me, and so strongly did Ross belay me down this particular cliff face. But I survived, and I got to the bottom. We use exactly the same arguments to God. Don't you know who I am, God? Don't you know what I've done or not done? And don't you know what will happen to me? God simply replies, go to Ananias. But it's not always a step into the unknown. It rarely is from God. Often we contribute to this idea, we were saying a few weeks ago, that that faith is often described as being blind. Actually, the Christian faith is never blind. In the words of John Stock, genuine faith is never irrational. Genuine faith rests on the reliability of a God who has spoken. Yes, God may ask us to do something about which we're uncertain. God may ask us to do something or to put ourselves in situations or places where we don't know the outcome or the result. But we're never asked to step out in blind faith. We're asked to step out in faith based on who we know God is to be, based on what we know God has done, and based on the fact that we believe in a God who does know what will happen in the future. The outcome and the result may be unknown to us, but the outcome and the result is not unknown to God. God reassures Ananias. And gives Ananias some clues. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. God uses instructions that are specific and informed. He uses things that Ananias is familiar with. He doesn't just simply say to Ananias, Go into Damascus and find Saul. Some people think that the Christian faith is is a bit like a game of Cluedo. You've got to discover who God is and and some sort of mystery plan that he has for you. And really, God's doing his best to, to keep it hidden from you. Well, that's not what God is like at all. God wants to show us how we should live. God wants to show us what he wants us to do. In fact, if we're honest... The opposite is often the case. We know exactly what God wants us to do, but we're the ones who are reluctant to admit to that. The Christian faith is not a sort of game of spiritual Cluedo, where we have to discern what's going to happen, who did what to whom, where. But God's will is often plain and clear and revealed based on who God is, what we know God has already done. Go, God says to Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Straight Street apparently is still there in Damascus. It's the main east west road in Damascus. It's the old Roman road. Now it's called Babshaki, the ancient Roman road in the old city. It's the equivalent of God saying to Ananias, go onto the royal mile. And maybe because he knows that Ananias is a local, he doesn't say the royal mile. He says, Go onto the high street. The tourist's name is the royal mile the locals know it as the high street. That's the equivalent of what God is saying to Ananias. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and there ask for a man called Saul who is praying. Saul again isn't just to go door to door knocking on every single door saying is there somebody in here who's blind? God tells him go to this particular house Ask for this particular person and ask for this particular person who is doing this. God's guidance and instructions are quite specific. It's personal. He uses a name and tells Ananias what to look for. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man called Saul who is praying, he's aware, God is aware of how big an ask he's making of Ananias. And then he tells him, in a vision, Saul has seen a man called Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. There'll be confirmation, Ananias. It won't come as a surprise to him, even though this is coming as a surprise to you so Ananias goes and a bit like the shepherds going to the stable in Bethlehem you see there's a pattern to the way that God guides people Ananias finds it exactly as it has been described you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger the clues are all there And the first words that Ananias speaks to Saul are very telling. Brother Saul, the assassin has become family. So what can we learn from this small incident? From this obedience in the life of this forgotten hero in the Christian church, Ananias of Damascus? Well, the first thing is that God does call unlikely people. Ananias was no super-spiritual hero at this point. He was a very ordinary, very unknown, and for most people still unknown, Christ follower. Yet God called him to be used in the healing and discipling of the apostle to the Gentiles, one of the founders of the early church. A bit like Albert McMakin, a person that most of us have never heard of. But Albert McMakin... Was the man who took the teenage Billy Graham to the crusade meeting where Billy Graham was converted everybody around the world has heard of Billy Graham no one has heard of Albert McMakin but without him there would be no Billy Graham so God does call unlikely people Second, God may give unlikely tasks. God may call you, may call me, to do something unusual, even frightening, even in the case of Ananias, something that appeared to him to be life-threatening. Remember, God will always be bigger than our understanding of Him. That verse again from Isaiah, Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are higher than than my thoughts. God will always be bigger than our doctrinal statements, our creedal statements, or our understanding of who He is because He's God. So God may well surprise us. When was the last time that God surprised you? When was the last time that God asked you to do something? that surprised you, about himself or indeed about yourself? remember when a friend of mine for the first time read the book God of Surprises by Gerard Hughes and began to explore Ignatian spirituality. It wasn't a particular uh, tradition that my friend who comes from a more charismatic background was familiar with at all, but the person that he was working with, his spiritual director, said, what happened when you imagined yourself into a particular uh, story in the gospel? And I remember Toby telling me that when Jesus walked past him, Jesus turned round and simply winked at Toby. And I said to Toby, what, what did you think that wink meant? And Toby said that he knew more than I do, and he always will. When was the last time that God surprised you? So God calls unlikely people, God gives unlikely tasks, but thirdly, it will not be blind faith. If it's of God, there will be clues, there will be confirmation, and there will be specifics, and it will be personal, not general. In the same way that there was clues, that there were those pointers for Ananias. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, ask for a man named Saul who is praying. He's had a vision of you who will come and lay hands on him and he will be healed. All that reassurance laid out. How will the confirmation come? It might come through Scripture. It might come through people who know you. It might come through people that don't. It might come through your own prayer life. It might come through other people's prayer life. But there will be confirmation. God does speak and wants to speak. But as Donald Miller once said, if God doesn't speak to you through a donkey or an angel, it probably isn't God. And the final challenge for you and me this morning is what is God calling us, you, me, to do or be? Maybe you're facing a situation this morning where you just sense that God is asking you to trust him in a new way. You're not certain. God, don't you know who I am? God, don't you know what I've done? God, don't you know what will happen to me? Maybe you're facing a situation that is a complete surprise to you. Well, ask God for confirmation, for Him to show you how and when and why and what and who. And how does what God is asking you to do based on your knowledge of what God has done in the past. Allow yourself to be reminded Of who God is, of what God has done, and the fact that God does know the outcome and the result, that it might come as a surprise to you, but it won't come as a surprise to God. And ultimately, as we come and take the bread and the wine this morning, remember that it's based upon a God who has demonstrated and shown his love and commitment in the person of Jesus Christ by giving of himself for you, for us, and the whole world.